BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a subway passenger shoots four black teens he said were robbing him. And he becomes a hero in the process. The case of Bernie Getz would shape feelings on crime, race, fear, and guns to this day. We'll talk about the Audible Originals podcast, Fiasco Vigilante. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca Lavoy, love of my life. Kevin, thank you so much again, as we discussed on the last Crime Writers on Rewind, for teaching me how to say host of the These Are Their Stories podcast properly so I can say it without stuttering. It works great. Well, well, we'll be the judge of that over the long term. <laughs> also, you got through one episode. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I'm no longer stuttering when I say it because I'm no longer saying host of the, 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 the stories oh, podcast. The, 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 Kevin yes. figured out that if I say host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, it comes out smooth. It only took oh. me eight fucking years to figure that shit out. Thanks to this guy. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of incredibly cozy mysteries, Lara Bricker. Hey, Lara. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Kevin, this is obviously a brand new episode of Crime Writers Zone. It is, yes. What is happening on the next show? Well, on Thursday, we have our final CWO classic for the summer. We're going back to our original review of Wild Wild Country. Sheila! Yeah, then on Monday, we have a, uh, a you know, returning to the show twice a week. We're going to have on Monday, we're going to be talking about the series from Max. It's called telemarketers yeah i can't wait to watch that and then on thursday we'll be talking about the new podcast the girlfriends all right i've really been wanting to watch telemarketers ever since i read about it uh, i hope it's good no you can yeah i hope it's good because i've been looking forward to watching that one and we will get to only murders yes but i think we're gonna wait till we get uh, towards the end of the season so okay everyone's asking yeah. we are gonna of do course. it of course would we not do only murders in the building. And we're going to bring back the uh, Crime Writers on theme song, Only Murders Edition. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, goody, goody. So I have two things that I want to plug real quick before we start the show. Mm -hmm. One of them is our friend Ronald Young Jr.'s new podcast, Wait For It. This is not a paid endorsement. This is an organic plug 
I listened to the first episode of Wait For It when What's it, it dropped. It's called Wait For It. W E I G H T. When am I going to hear it? It's out. When are you going to tell me? <sighs> Stop it. It's What's out. What's it called? Wait For It. How long do I have to wait for it? Stop it. What are you going to tell me? God, stop it. <laughs> it's out. It, actually, the first episode dropped a couple weeks ago. I listened to the first episode three times the day that it dropped. And I love it so, so much. It's sort of a reflection on being fat and what that means and like how you feel. And it's more than just that. It's just not, I can't, it's it's harder to describe than I can describe. Ronald Young Jr. has been on the show. He's a friend of the show. He's a friend of ours. He is just so, so wonderful. And his new podcast, he ended up getting picked up by Radiotopia. It is just lovely and wonderful and personal. And I can't recommend it enough. And please, 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 if you've ever thought about your body for a moment, whether you're fat or not, you should listen to Wait For It. That's all I'm going to say. W-E-I-G-H-T, for it, wait for it. But as long as we're uh, giving flowers, can we also just like recognize Chris Joyner and Bill Rankin and yeah. the other folks at AJC? You know, if you know what they've been doing down in Atlanta, they have been working on it so hard and just, you know, the 10th season of Breakdown is out and it's a it's a huge achievement for them. And so just a, a little pat on the back. Some flowers your way, guys. Good luck. Send them a pizza. Absolutely. Send them a pizza. They can eat it in the rumpus room. <laughs> the rumpus room. <laughs> ah. This is a good spot to have pizza. Thanks for the pizza, Laura. I hear you've been texting with Bill. Yeah, he's like, I like, I like pineapple and ham on my pizza. Yeah, Bill's like, you up? You up. Hey, slide in your DM. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to plug is that once again, we are having crime writers on listeners who are teachers. If you are a teacher and you listen to this show, join our group or if you are already in our Facebook group. And if you have an Amazon wish list for your classroom or other kind of shopping wish list for your classroom, or you just need shit for your classroom or books for your library. Go on our Facebook group. There's a post there where you can post what you need. And we are inviting other crime writers on listeners who belong to our group to buy shit for you, to buy stuff for your classroom. We want to help you out. We want to support the teachers who listen to the show. Uh, we're asking, though, however, that you should post your own lists and your own needs and not like if you like know somebody tangentially who's a teacher, please don't post their lists. Or your kids' teachers' lists. Exactly. Please you should just fill their lists. Exactly. Yeah. Do not post your kids' teachers' lists. We have to keep it manageable because as Kevin knows, I always try to buy one thing from everybody's <laughs> lists yeah. and we can't afford that. We can only afford to maybe, I maybe we can, we can Maybe we can't. I don't know how many teachers we have. Uh, but anyway, please, if you're a teacher, we'd love to hook you up with other listeners of the show who would, I'm sure would love to buy you some markers or some tampons or some uh, paper clips or some, uh, I saw some cool post-its today or some highlighters or cleaning supplies or whatever it is you need from your classroom. Uh, I, I bought a book today for somebody. Um, anyway, post your lists there. Uh, go to our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and look for Crime Writers On hit uh, join the group. If you know any one of our names, we'll let you into the group. If you're a teacher, post your list, please. Okay. So Kevin. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about before we talk about the thing we're going to talk about? No, let's talk about the thing we're going to talk about. There's nothing more I want to talk about before we're talking about the thing we're going to talk about. All right. I think we should get to the thing we're going to talk about. Let's talk about it. All right. Let's get to it. Leading off, let's drop that first clip right now. Reed watched as two of the teenagers approached the man and one of them asked him for money. Then. He sprang up out of his seat. And that's when I heard a gunshot. Pop, 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 pop. I was frozen where I was sitting. I was so close. In 1984, a man shot four black teens who approached him in a subway car and then vanished into the station. 
Reflecting New Yorkers' growing anxiety about crime, the shooter was hailed by residents and the media as, quote, the subway vigilante. But even at this early point, when so little was known about what actually happened, journalists did more than just report on the incident. Perhaps because so little was known, they were able to set the tone for how the shooting was understood and talked about by regular New Yorkers. The unknown suspect was Bernie Getz, who told investigators his unrelenting fear of city life fueled his actions. But as a more accurate portrait of the events emerged, a heated debate began whether his use of force was appropriate. And the case became a Rorschach test on crime, race, and justice that continues to resonate. It's remarkable how similar this is to the kinds of things politicians were saying in 1980s New York. How we're still wrestling with the same dilemma of crime as a real phenomenon that affects some New Yorkers' daily lives, while convincing many more that the problem is so bad and so urgent that it must be addressed by any means necessary. Exclusively on Audible for now and slated soon for full release on all the apps, Fiasco Vigilante is the latest installment in the series by host Leon Nafok. It features interviews with witnesses, reporters, lawyers, and victims' family members, all touched by the infamous Bernie Getz case. It also recounts the external factors that shape public attitudes about the shooting that turn Getz from populist hero to a cautionary tale of violent paranoia. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Fiasco Vigilante. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. But of course, we are talking about a true story from history. So, you know, spoilers. There are no spoilers. It's kind of something you could also look up. Um, Anyway, so Kevin. Yeah. We got to talk about how consistent Leon Nafok is with delivery of these shows. Yeah, Fiasco is yeah remarkably reliably consistent and that includes like the nafok episodes of slow burn right um this up ep- this series here this season seems pitch perfect in getting the right voices covering the right angles not going too far down rabbit holes but showing you some interesting things and then getting back to the the meat of it it's always packaged so well i think this might be the best installment of fiasco so far hmm. and we have somebody else on the panel who made the same note, Toby? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is this is really good. I, I agree. Like, like he's not only consistent, but he's consistently excellent. These things do happen every once in a while. But what costs are we willing to accept, and what moral compromises are we willing to make in exchange for never having to be scared that they'll happen to us? There's been none of them that he's done that I thought were anything less than really, really good, and. I mean, just starting with the first one, which was about Watergate, was fascinating. You know, I think between subject and then I don't know if he's like sort of refined certain things or whatever, but this one just seemed to have moved with so much momentum. And again, like you were saying, like he kind of goes on these like little side journeys about things that are always interesting and are always sort of relevant to the main story. But he does it without killing the the momentum, you know, and you, you just pop back in and it's kind of a juggling act, I think, but uh, I, I think he pretty much nails it. Uh, he and his team really nail that in, in this uh, in this series. A huge part of the momentum for me and Laura, I'm wondering if you agree with this, is that such a big factor in the Bernie Getz story, and I, I lived through the story living in the tri-state area at the time, was the coverage of the story in the newspapers and the media. 
And he has so many great voices from newspapers at the time. And not just great characters and great people who work there, but their actual physical voices are just incredible to listen to in this podcast, by the way. The urgency, the, you know, the memories of sort of running from copy girl, copy desk out in the street. But even like he has the right people talking about the media context. Of course, that's not the only context, but the media context is incredibly important. And he has multiple angles on that. He has the uh, the crime scene shooter. He has somebody from the Post. He has somebody from the Daily News. And that's an incredibly important element of this story. Yeah. And so I, as we know, anytime we have anything that gives us a window into working in a newsroom, that's something I always love to hear about. I always, as newsrooms are shrinking around the country, I really enjoy when we hear about these sort of, I'm going to just say like the heyday of the tabloids in New York. I used to wear sneakers so that when somebody screamed, copy, I would run over, I would dash over them, grab it and run to wherever department they wanted me to go to with the galley proofs. That spilled over to, uh, hey kid, murder just happened, there's a homicide, you know, go there, take the photographer and get down there now, you know. This case was, I think, a case that really brought the true picture of the competition between the Daily News and the Post and the way they're writing the stories and who they're writing the stories for. We're writing them shorter. We're writing them simpler. We're writing them splashier. And in a case like this, that's grabbing a lot of attention, but that's also feeding the frenzy that surrounded this case in a way that, in, in my opinion, listening to this, really escalated the public sentiment and outcry and everything else that was going on as this case was unfolding. But I just loved hearing about, you know, like, and Rupert Murdoch is coming in and he's like brand new, this new guy. And then he brings in his columnist from Australia and that guy who is very different from the style of what we've experienced here. And he's, you know, stirring the pot with his columns. And I mean, this is just me because I like just have such nostalgia for journalism, but I loved hearing about their room that they had in the police headquarters and how that's where they were camped out. So you know that the minute something happened, these were the competitive type of reporters that were on the scene probably as soon as the police were in a lot of cases because they were over there. You couldn't help but wonder too, though, by the way, how much coverage was shaped by the fact that the reporters had a post in police headquarters. I always, yeah. I, I just kept thinking that. You know, like how reporters have posts in the White House? Yeah, I know or that. This, yeah. Or like the room at the State House. But I, I just, I was like, oh my gosh, they were like on the scene. So yeah, I, I just thought it was really interesting having, you know, that is the time period and that was the type of media that was happening when this case unfolded. Right. But Kevin, what I'm referring to is the fact that in crime, in a city where crime sells, mm -hmm. that the first voice they get on in the record are the cops, on the, the cops in that instance, because the they're right next to the cops. It's just a very interesting thought to think that they had a newsroom at 1PP. Mm -hmm. But of course, one of the most um, important voices that rises in the media at that time. And of course, he was a huge voice. And I remember him being on billboards in New York when I was a kid was Jimmy Breslin. And he was an important central voice in this case. In rendering the victims as human beings, Breslin made clear that he was not there to sing along. This posture put him in the uncomfortable position of essentially shaming an entire city. 
If you're going to cheer for that, there's something the matter with you. Absolutely, you have no respect for the law. What did you think about Jimmy Breslin's particular role here? Because it wasn't just a, a voice in the case. It was also sort of a, a sort of a losing cultural role in the media as Rupert Murdoch sort of was coming to power. We used to have this, you know, this this singular kind of voice in the media. And this was sort of the last era of it. Yeah, like Laura was saying, you know, these newspaper stories are very interesting. Obviously, it's what the media coverage drove the perception of any story, and particularly the Bernie Getz story. You know, I think even you know, Jimmy Breslin kind of intimates that if, if it were a black shooter who wounded four people um, and then disappeared into the subway, it would beget much media panic and, and public panic. And they fed a fascination about this was somewhat justified and a little romanticized. And it was the right story just as the editorial view started to swing from the left to the right. And then Jimmy Breslin, I mean, talk about the last of the iconoclasts. I mean, this was like a great observation that they bring up in uh, in fiasco that he was sort of of this, you know, liberal Irish Italian generation where a lot of the families there are like their parents like are still immigrants or their first generation Americans. And then you've got now you've got a new population where all of these kids, they identify primarily as New Yorkers and not as like somebody from the old country, whatever the old country is. So their values are different and their interests are different. And then that's where a at this moment, a new voice and Rupert Murdoch comes to media. So it's kind of like Jimmy Breslin, you know, the the voice of the working man. He's still trying to push back on, you know, some of the narratives and set the set the record straight about like what the actual facts were and try to like let people know, hey, like maybe you're going maybe you're taking this just a little too far. Like maybe you're like getting really wound up only so that you could segue into a business section. Oh, my God. And then. No, you know, no, you know, what? You know no. Jimmy, you know what Jimmy Breslin would say? What? No, not true. Not true. Not true. I, yes. Not true. They were in his. No, there no sharp no, screws. Phil Donahue. No, no, not true. Not even close, Phil oh, Donahue. Anyway, I guess we're here now. We're what? here now. Go oh, to Partners geez. in Crime. No, what am I saying? Go to Patreon.com. Oh, God, we're here. Slash Partners in Crime Media. You get all sorts of great stuff. You can get this podcast early and ad free at Patreon. And if you do, you know what this podcast is? What? The 400th podcast that what? you can get on Patreon. From Partners in Crime Media. This one? This very one? This very one. Wow. You And you would get it early and ad-free. Wow. Just saying. Wow. Incredible. We have great shows here. We've got the Crime Writers on After Show. we got Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. We have Married with Podcasting, which Rebecca and I dispense advice to married people, single people, parents, dogs, grandmas. Colleagues. Colleagues. Collies, like dogs. Uh, people We've who- never dispensed advice to a dog. We dispense advice about dogs. About dogs, yes. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, hey, there's always the next show. Also, we have Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast. And, Laura, you have been dying to do this this latest episode. Yes. Tell us about what Laura is going to do. Well, this has been rescheduled. This is Laura Bricker's bucket list going to learn how to round up cattle on horseback. I have my outfit now. Mm-hmm. I have my shirt with the cattle horns on it. I have my cowboy boots. Initially, I was supposed to go a few weeks ago. We've talked about this. They got hay. They had to cancel. I am now slated to go again. As long as the temperature stays under 90 degrees, I will be yippee rounding up the cattle. So, All right. That sounds great. And, and maybe I will be learning how to lasso Kevin. 
You're going to lasso comma Kevin or you're going to lasso Kevin? Well, I might lasso you, Kevin. Next time I come to your house, I'll be like, look at this. That sounds completely not fun. Um, (laughs) So uh, if you joined us now, there you get all sorts of uh, cool content. And if you'd like to find out more about what's going on in Crime Writers on World, just sign up for our free newsletter. Mm. Go to crimewriterson.com. You leave your email address every Thursday. You're going to get a newsletter that has uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Crime Writers on behind the scenes. We'll recap our reviews. We'll talk about the pad of the week. We've got the post of the week. I don't, I don't call it the tweet of the week anymore because I guess it's X and you don't tweet on X. I still you post call it I, Twitter. Sorry. Fucking hell. I'm just, I'm, you know what I am? I'm like old school. I'm like how people call the restaurant that has a new name. They call mm-hmm. the other one forever. Like that's me with yeah. this platform. Yeah. I, well, you know, I don't know about you guys. Sometimes it's like I'm trying to find out somebody's Twitter uh, address. And so I'll put in like, so let's assume that he were still alive. Jimmy Breslin Twitter. Now if I'd have to put in Jimmy Breslin X, you know what kind of search results I'm yes. going to get from that? Just don't not, do not that. Not what you want to see. Not what I want. I don't want any Jimmy Breslin porn. Thank you very much. Hmm. Is he at the Daily News? Yeah. He was at the Daily News? Yeah. Uh, All right. 1010 wins. Voice of the city. Voice of the city. So please join us here. All the great stuff. Oh, last of all, I'll let you know that there's a new episode of uh, These Are Their Stories, Law and Order podcast out. In this one, special guest star, before she was famous. Before they were famous. Hayden Hayden Panettiere. Hayden Panettiere. Uh, stars as a high school girl who uh, gets involved in... She's a mess. Just leave it at that. She's a mess. Just leave it there. I do not have sex with him. No? Well, then what do you call what you did to Brian? (laughs) It's only oral. Oral sex, Angela. So what? It's the same thing I used to do when I hooked up. At least this way I get something out of it. Yeah, it starts off with uh, maybe... Bracelets. Bracelets. Ends up a different place. Ends up in child porn. It's just, it's crazy. Teen porn. Teen porn. Different place. Different place. Fake ID. Fake just FYI. ID. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, just, it's, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, of course, Stabler's all fucking for My daughter. About My daughter. <laughs> she might have known the guy with the you could expose oh, the AIDS God. and did she do anything? Ah, uh, Stabler. She didn't put, you didn't, you didn't even touch it? Oh, great. Not going to get AIDS. I'm yeah. so proud of you. Yeah, all right. Kathleen. Anyway, Kevin, before we end this horrible transition to business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are... Kevin Pye and Kelly Coleman. Bless you. Kevin, Kelly, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thanks to everyone who does. Thanks to you who don't and listen to the business section anyway. And Kevin, I'm going to just end this thing. Can I just end it and fade that music out right now? Please do. I'm going to do that. Fade it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ask Sherwin-Williams during the March Spring Sale, March 15th through the 25th, and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at $28.92. 
That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 35% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. All right, so Toby, we have to talk about Getz's defense, which, by the way, it wasn't even his defense before it was his defense because New Yorkers made it for him. Um, Basically, it's like, we don't know what his defense would have been if he hadn't become a hero because he just fucking ran away, right? But his defense ends up being was, I was scared, so therefore it was okay to shoot four unarmed people some of whom were not even facing me at the time. So can you just talk about that threshold for um, shooting for children, young people? Yeah. So in the in the podcast, he makes the point that the self-defense threshold is is whether you feel threatened, not whether you, in fact, are threatened. You know, it seems like it should be obvious. But when that becomes the threshold, I think it, it kind of legitimizes and brings in this sort of cultural conditioning in our, in our country about who is a threat and who is not a threat and makes it so that if you, you know, shoot somebody and I think it's like young black men are the obvious population that you can say, Oh, well they, these, these young black guys and I, you know, I got scared and I, I felt like I had to do something cause they're going to, and, that gets accepted, right? Despite the fact that, again, in this case, these kids did not pose a threat to him. It was just entirely perceived. I, I kind of feel it's the same way with stand your ground laws. Again, it's like if you feel like you're threatened, you can do what you need to do. But because of the cultural narratives we have in this country, there are some people who a certain population will perceive as more threatening and feel justified in using you know, lethal force against. And, you know, the problem has been that just like in this case, the police and the courts have have upheld that kind of decision making and said, yes. well, you know, that's reasonable. Unless you're a woman and your husband has actually tried to kill you 15 times. Mm, yeah. And right. then you kill him when he's sleeping because it's the only time you can. And when he wakes up, he's going to kill you or he has a gun and he's pointed at you, but then he turns around and then you kill him and he's not facing you. You know, those aren't instances where you can, quote, feel threatened and that's justification for killing somebody. It's really incredible how these laws are applied. There's hierarchies, right? About who, oh, can, yes. who can do it, who can yes. be on the shooting end and who can be on the receiving end. And based on who those are, that will suggest different outcomes. And I think like one of the things that came out of this was... There's a certain segment of the population and whatever that's like, oh, yeah, if, you know, black teenagers on the subway are acting in a way that you perceive as threatening, then you can shoot them and people will think that's that's OK. Like yep. you're justified. Yep. So, Laura, one of the most interesting things about this case, of course, to us, and it was something that we, I think we've talked about it on the show before. Right, Kevin? And it's something that we knew was that uh, Bernard Getz was uh, turned himself in and conquered New Hampshire. And what I loved was that Leon actually got the cop. I'm sitting in my office and this guy walks in the front lobby and the sergeant says, this guy wants to turn himself in. And I said, what for? 
And I said something to the effect of, you heard of the Subway Vigilante? It's just like a bit of local color and it's pretty incredible. But he did give this incredible taped confession in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, So that ends up getting used in a way that's completely different than the prosecution thinks it's going to be used. Uh, What do you think of this entire Concord, New Hampshire narrative, the confession he gives here and the fact that it gets completely twisted and the fact that like he says, I said, you seem to be doing all right. Here's another. You seem to be doing all right. Here's another. Here was Bernie Getz, the subway vigilante, saying that after firing four bullets, he noticed that one of his victims wasn't hurt badly enough. So he walked up to him and shot him again. Ends up becoming like, we're going to let it in. We're not even going to contest it because it's proof that like he's he's, he's a fabulist because it couldn't have happened that way. And not proof of this is a guy who actually wants to shoot black kids. Yeah, I well, of course, anytime I'm like, how random New Hampshire. I love it when there's a New Hampshire connection to anything. Um, There's usually an Exeter connection to anything. But, you know, and you had like the one person who had been out like skiing and showed up in their like ski sweater or turtleneck or something. Prosecutor. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was like a fun detail. But I think that one section of that interview, it just stuck with me. Over and over, like, you look okay. You don't look so bad. Here's another. And that's the victim that is paralyzed as a result of this shooting. Anytime you have somebody with a confession, you're like, how are we going to keep this out if you're trying to defend this person? But in this case, it's such a window into who this man was and his motivation and his mindset at the time. And I thought that was interesting when they had that Concord detective who was like, had just read about this in the local paper. They had had like probably an AP story they picked up about this case. And then here is this guy. And then you have the New York City detectives and you have the one guy who's like, it's like New Year's Eve and like I have plans and I'm not going up to New Hampshire. So I appreciated hearing about all of the behind the scenes, what was happening with these different players as they're going up there to get him. And, you know, I think, I think the thing about Getz is that at that time there was, there were people that were looking at him as a sympathetic character. To me, when I listened to his interview with the police, I'm not sympathetic to him. Yeah. And when I listened to the lack of remorse and the way that he frames what happened, I'm not sympathetic to him. So I I just love the fact that it happened in New Hampshire. But I I think that it was, again, just really when you have somebody that sits down at that point and decides to just sit down and do an interview with the police without a lawyer present, you get some gems. And in this case, we got a real window into who he was. Yeah. It's very hard, Kevin, to hear him describing shooting Daryl KB in the spine in that way, in that tape. Yeah. Like if you could get two more people to talk to in this in in this series, because you know, Leon Fock is great at, at sort of like finding people who might not have been at the center of these historical stories, but he usually finds somebody who was in the room or if not somebody on the fringe who like can bring something very interesting. I think he gets a lot of the people here. If he could have anybody, I think he'd want to have gets, but I think he'd always want what he would also want to have one of the victims and you get some family members here, but it's like, sure, you, we, your family could win a, a multi-million dollar lawsuit, but you know you're never going to collect it. 
But it, nobody else thinks that. Everybody else thinks you're rich because your son or your brother got, you know, paralyzed by by a gunshot. It's just so it's so just terribly unfair. But it was, I think, an important voice to bring in because, yeah, in, in some ways, the four victims were stand-ins for a lot of different things. They were stand-ins for the issue of crime. They were faceless. They were also just sort of stand-ins for issues about civil rights. They were never really themselves, right, except for the one victim whose name everybody knew because he'd been in the hospital in a coma. Yeah. You know, they lost themselves in the public sphere when they just sort of became one entity of these four people. So it's important to have them represented in some way in this uh, in this series. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't talk. I mean, James Remsor is dead, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we hear Daryl Cavey has disabilities. And um, why would you? Why would you talk at this point? Why would you? Why would you put yourself in the center of this again? Uh, Bernie Getz is feeding birds and doing whatever. And I Squirrels. think he squirrels he probably he's probably just talking to whoever walks by him right he's yeah. he's not not talking because he's not a narcissist who's who's nuts he's he's not talking because he didn't see anything in it for him right mm-hmm. um but but here's the thing he's out feeding the squirrels and he's still in new york mm-hmm. despite the fact that he's like i i guess i just find it kind of ironic in a way are you gonna fuck with bernie Getz though nobody but this is the thing it's like he's gotten he's gotten away with it like nobody yeah yeah yeah. so he's back here where it all began meanwhile the poor kid who got paralyzed is like i'm out of the city i'm moving and he's never gonna get a dime yeah yeah who won this civil suit and should have got millions and millions and I, i liked when they brought his sister on and she talked about yeah like that's not the reality but also that was another tragedy of that story to me. It was like, now he's just moving out of here. And it's interesting to me though, how when Getz was fingered as the shooter, there's this like a very interesting portrait of him that emerges him that emerges from people who sort of like tangentially knew him or knew him. The neighbor who taped the phone calls is fascinating to me. She said he didn't, she didn't know him that well, but then why was he calling her? Like, like he's just such a, it's a different time. He's such a weirdo. And like, I don't hate, I hate to use that word because it can be, you know, misconstrued as me sort of talking about like mental health stuff. I'm not, I'm talking about the fact that Bernie gets was a straight up is a straight up weirdo who for some reason really wanted to talk about this after he did it. He really went with people he like to people he didn't know that well. He was like the cat that swallowed the canary, right? He wanted to brag about it. Yeah. He was proud of it. Well, like once once he chilled out. Yeah. What do you what do you make of the fact, Toby, that he just like I mean, you describe him in your notes as the definition of a racist, right? There is something to that, like that he really wanted people to know what he did, why he did it. He's very unabashed about it. And people say, like, after the trial, his real character came out. I think before the trial, his real character came out. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's got to be a strange feeling to do something that in the immediate aftermath, he must have been thinking, I just threw my life away. Like, that's it. And then you suddenly see that all these people support what you did. I mean, it's just got to be a very, very odd feeling to even before he was identified, just be have this secret that you're this person who everybody is sort of celebrating against like 
what I would assume would have been his assumptions as he walked out of that subway car. So it just must have been strange. And he's a strange guy to begin with. You know, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, it's got to be for him, like judgment about what he did aside, sort of the biggest thing he's ever going to do in his life. Right. You know, and in his mind, he was justified in doing it. So, yeah, he wants to talk about it. And there were certainly a lot of people who wanted to listen once they knew who he was. Yeah. So Leon talks about something, Kevin, about the um, the fear of crime, right? Yeah. And there's something I've been thinking about a lot lately with the political discourse that's going on right now. There are crime statistics, and then there is the perception of crime. And there's nothing that burns my buns. Well, two things burn my buns. One of them is the uh, expression culture wars, which we can get into another podcast uh, because it's not, it's not culture. Um, second is um, this whole talk about uh, crime being a, a factor in political decision-making for voters because it is perception, not reality. And then the talk of it heightens the perception and creates more fear. When people are talking about how afraid they are, how crime is rising, when they actually haven't experienced anything, but it's just because they hear it, it's this endless feedback loop about about crime. Um, you think that there's something to that in this story, but also today. Do you agree with me? Oh, I do agree with you. And that's like one of the great things about Fiasco is that they always sort of look at the gathering storm and look at these factors. And, you know, the idea that fear of crime was so prevalent in that particular moment. They look at that and it really is, they explain how subjective it is. It's sort of the same thing with economic conditions and like consumer confidence. It's a lot more about like how you feel as opposed to what the stats are. And they, they look at it at the time and it's, you know, the crime statistics show that like crime is down, but the way people feel individually about it affects certain things. And now you can agree or disagree, like if those are like the reasons for why the city reacted a certain way or whatever, uh, that's fine. But what I like about Fiasco is that it will go in and it'll explore that and put it up there for you to kind of like chew on. And I do think that like these are the same, as you say, there's the same things today that like conservative media is pushing messages that you're not safe, so you don't feel safe. And at least these New Yorkers had to walk around the big city streets and maybe go out at night and walk in the subway and had some experience that may or may not have reinforced that. Not a bunch of people sitting in their, uh, their bark lounge. Yeah. You know, in suburban or rural America thinking, Oh wow, that must be really scary. Uh, I'm, I'm less safe. Oh, Cause someone yeah. tells me I, I better am. lock my window tonight yeah. because yeah, you know, or so I can't afford stuff. Cause someone tells me I can't, that that's yeah. like another, that's it. That's true. The economic thing is very similar. I mean, yeah. great, great. there and are I, economic conditions that change, but there is also people tell you people right. can tell you that you aren't as you aren't as well off as you were. And people then believe, like, you know right. what? I am. And, I'm not. And Leon doesn't need to come out and, and make a declaration on whether this thing was right or that thing was right or th this person's actions were wrong or they were right. Just puts it out all there. And if you want to kind of consume it and simmer on it a little bit and, you know, it works as a straight historical crime story, but also if you really want, it's fiasco strength is that it lets you kind of think a little deeper about all the things that were going on and happening there to get a, a, a broader understanding of, of what transpired. Tell me what you're going to say. Oh, I was just going to say uh, that, that, that thing about people, like you have impressions rather than no facts. I think I, I just, when I was in DC in the nineties, like the post did this poll before one of the elections 
And it was just like basic facts about the country. So it was like, what's the unemployment rate? Is it 6%, 16%, 26% or 36%? And then it, it published the results. And so like for that question, it's like more than half the people thought the unemployment rate was either 26 or 36%, which is insane. Like, that's just like a, a completely failing. <laughs> I mean, that's like the Great Depression, right? It was 6%. So it was just like people couldn't even tell you within a factor of six what the unemployment rate is, mm-hmm. yet you're going in to like vote for somebody uh, based on their economic plan, of which you clearly have no context for. And How many jelly beans in the jar, folks? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's, you know, I, I again, I like I agree with Kevin. I thought this idea of like, perceived danger and everybody, if they haven't been mugged, they know somebody who's been mugged and and stuff like that. I mean, New York in the eighties is, was a lot different than New York now, but there was, you know, reacting emotionally based on your feelings about the way things are rather than actually knowing the facts of it. You know, I think it, it just, it drives so much stuff then now before I'm sure in the future. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Fiasco Vigilante? Right now it's available on Audible. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Fiasco Vigilante? Yeah, this is a thumbs up. I listened to all of this on a drive back from Northern Vermont and my son was with me and it resulted in some really good conversations in the car because he was trapped with me. And I was like, (sighs) what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And what I love about the style that these are told in, they are done in a way that is an incredibly deep dive into the issue, but also the time period in which, in this case, this this crime happened. And you hear from a lot of people, but it's done in a way, you know, you hear me often like say, oh, this was too dense. This, the writing in this keeps the story moving in a way that keeps it going forward. And so even though there was like an extreme amount of information and, you know, lots of context about what was happening with lots of voices, 
I didn't feel like I was bogged down. I didn't feel like I was slowed down. I felt like this was just a really comprehensive, insightful, intelligent look at not only, you know, this crime, but the legacy of it today, because, you know, we have had some recent incidents on subways that a lot of people have said this kind of harkens back to that case. And it's that sort of takeaway from these podcasts of this is something that will repeat at some point in history. And here's how it was handled in the past. So I, I just thought it was really well done. Yeah. I mean, it has repeated, right? It's not just subways. Yeah. No. Uh, Toby, yeah. Bob, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Fiasco Vigilante? Yeah, there's like a handful of podcasters who when they come out with a new podcast, I'm just like, yes, so psyched to listen. And uh, Leon Nafox, one of those. And this is as good, if not better than anything I think that he's done before. I could go on and on. I think the one thing we, we haven't talked about is he says these podcasts have a distinctive like feel to them. Like Leon's got a great voice for this kind of podcast. They all sound super crisp. They've got really good archival footage. The music's really good. All this stuff. That's in addition to all the stuff that we talked about in the main review about just how smartly it's put together and these interesting issues it brings up and all this. So anyway, it's uh yeah, it's a it's a huge thumbs up for me and will be certainly in my my top ten at the end of the year. Kevin Flint. I'm a thumbs up, big thumbs up. Fiasco is just so reliable, so good, just so consistently interesting. I'd like to say that this might be the best fiasco, but I, now I feel like now we're just starting to argue is like, is Rubber Soul better than Abbey Road? They're, they're just no, like, no, <laughs> I like Abbey Road better. I yeah, think. Abbey Road's better than Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul's great, but Abbey Road. Come yeah. On. Come on now. Yeah. Revolver versus Sergeant Pepper. I, oh, yeah, I, gotta I, respect I don't like Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper. Pepper. I like, okay. Come on. That's overrated. All right. True. I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good cover, but man, I think, album. But I, I think it's like, it's so reliable that it's like, almost you want to encourage Leon like hey man like now time to stretch yourself and I think he kind of did that with think twice mm. so to think that you know someone's masterpiece is still yet to come is like very exciting yeah there are some people that you just know if it's Dan Taberski or it's Leah Satilli or uh, Connie Walker I mean there's just certain names where it's just like it's going to be an automatic yes and it's got to be really bad for it to be a, a thumbs down and maybe someday Leon Nafok will turn into a thumbs down, but he doesn't appear to be. So I can't wait for the next thing. Yeah, this is my favorite Leon Nafok podcast so far, like by a, a solid couple of points. Um, I love this podcast and I thought it was going to be just me because I love the New York voices so much. Just like, you know, it's just unabashed, like burrow to burrow to burrow, just like strong, like accents. It was so great. Anyway, the atmosphere was great. There were funny moments, like weird light moments interspersed through here too, like the cop in Concord, New Hampshire, just like boom. Um, I just really, really think the reporting in this was really strong. Leon Nafok does a tremendous job making things contemporary without being ham-fisted about it. Um, he's straight without being boring. Uh, he's historical without being like droning. Um, I don't know. This podcast is great. I recommend it to young people. I'd recommend it to old people. I'd tell my grandma to listen. I'd tell my dog to listen. I don't know. It's just a really, really good podcast. What can I say? I love it. 10 out of 10 for me for Fiasco Vigilante. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the, the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. A Toledo woman 
seeking a replacement copy of her high school diploma from 2007, was told by administrators that she never actually graduated. Oh my God, I have that dream all the time. Victoria Tatum lost the original sheepskin in a natural disaster and was seeking the credential to apply for college courses. The school board says she was actually a half credit short from graduating. That came as a shock to Victoria, who has pictures of herself 16 years ago in a cap and gown at the graduation holding a diploma with her name on it. The high school says it's obviously Victoria who's mistaken, and then they suggested she take a GED to complete her education. We hope the two sides can come together to some kind of solution, perhaps grant her a lifelong learning credit. The course could be titled Dealing with Dumbass Bureaucrats Who Think They've Foiled a 16-Year-Long Con to Steal Public Education. Yeah, smart guys. You've just been informed you're half a credit shy of your high school diploma. Which course would you not want to take over again? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Oh, boy. So I didn't have any courses I really disliked in high school, aside from like probably like calculus. But I, I have to tell this story. The one I got out of in college was the artificial insemination course. Mm, so For the horses, right? For the horses. Yes. And I, I was like, I, I don't want to take that. I, I don't want to get up at 6 a.m. I don't to have collect. a glove long enough for that. No, you had to get up and like you had, to, if you were the freaking like student, you had to hold the collection thing. I was like, I'm all set with that. Yeah. I am all set. So um, in high school, calculus, in college, artificial insemination. Tell you about what about you? You've just been informed you're a half credit shy of your diploma. Which course would you not want to take over again? Yeah, I, <laughs> it's a tough one. I, I was thinking, I, I was more thinking college, high school, I would probably uh, not want to take typing again. Uh, oh, yeah, me too. Which was, that a, was mine. Combination of just super, super boring and also frustrating because when you're 16 or 17 or whatever, like the whole like way the keys are laid out, just at least I found it offensive and (laughs) so insane making. Uh, And then what you do, like, I don't know, I'd actually be, be willing to read an article about how they decide to lay out the keyboard the way they did. Mm. But uh, you mean Mr. QWERTY? Why Mr. QWERTY did that? Yeah, they thought exactly. if they did it alphabetically, people would go too fast and ah. jam up. They thought <laughs> this is the way to slow everybody down. It's, I'm really shocked because Kevin, you're such a good typist. Yeah. Like, I don't know if typing class got me anywhere. It was I my first job. One of the things you had to do was like, type up all this stuff. And once you got done, you had a choice of other things. So it's just, everybody was just like madly typing. So you get the first choice of the next <sighs> thing to do. Cause some things were interesting. Some things were boring. Um, but the thing I was going to tell, I'm going on and on and uh, answering this question. There's a funny college story I had, but I'll leave it for some other time. Kevin Flynn, what course would you not want to take over again? Well, I was also going to say the typing class only because there was a half year course in my high school called senior type which taught people how to type like for term papers and they get going off to college. Right. And I ended up signing up for typing, but it was the full year sort of, we'll call it the secretarial <sighs> typing class where, where, yeah, Toby's like, Oh my God, it was just, you had a typewriter and the keys were not marked. So they were what? like, so you're like, huh. yeah, they were just like blank. Or maybe that was for another test. You also had to have like a, a paper that you would hide over it and, I and I got to see in that class just typing every day. Now I'm a good typist today, but also if you just watch, I go type it type stop delete type it type back back stop delete type it type type type. You're a good delete. typist. 
I could go fast, but I can, but I make mistakes, and so that was anyway. That was That's my C. Said. By the way, but, but I guess the course, if I had to do it again, it'd be algebra. If you put a gun to my head and said you need to solve this problem, or I will kill you, I would just say I'm gonna die. Let's get, <laughs> get out of the way. Um, so I actually. I so relate to this person because I actually went back to college as an adult and had to get my high school transcripts. Remember mm-hmm. this, Kevin? Yep, yep. I was terrified they were going <laughs> to tell me I didn't actually graduate high school because I know for a fucking fact that I didn't have enough gym credits. I ah. know it for a fact. I know it for a hundred percent fact because I definitely didn't take the gym that I was supposed to take when Did I was a Did you get a diploma? I got a diploma. They said I graduated like 16th in my class or whatever. I know it for a fact. You're wrong. No, no, for sure did not have enough gym credits because I fucking hated gym so much. That is the one class I would take anything. I would not take gym even as an adult. You couldn't pay me a million billion dollars to go back to Freeport High School on Freeport, Long Island and take 10 minutes of gym, period, 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 period. By the way, the period is how I got out of taking gym. (laughs) And the reason why I didn't have enough fucking gym credits lying about my period, 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 period. So yeah, I'm 100% sure I shouldn't have graduated because of gym. But anyway, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? The cat of the week this week is a dog because Rebecca loves dogs. I do. And this is a dog slash crime story. This is a golden retriever out in San Diego. So a man suspected, this is from the news, of stealing $1,300 from, uh, so the, basically what happened suspected, was this guy. Suspected, it's on fucking video. <laughs> it's not been convicted. You have to say allegedly. You have to say allegedly. So basically, he says he's going into, to do it on the video. <laughs> this guy broke into this garage in San Diego to steal this expensive bicycle. And the golden retriever came over and was like, hello. And was like, would you please rub my belly? And so it's all caught on the video is there. The video has gone viral. The Golden Redeemer basically slowed down the bike theft, but he did not stop the bike theft. He just was like, hey, how's it going? Golden Retrievers are so nice. So and in this video, you can hear the suspect say, I love you, too. You're a sweetheart to the dog as he's rubbing his belly before he uh, makes off with this expensive bike. So, you know, the thing that is problematic, though, is that in all these stories about this, nobody has, like, reported this dog's name. Yeah, it is a great video because the guy, the guy's talking to the dog, is like, why does your dad keep the door open when he has all this expensive stuff? It's fantastic. All right, Laura Bricker. DNA from the dog's belly. Laura <laughs> Bricker, ah! if folks want to pitch their pets, any kind of animal, to be Cat of the Week, how can they find you online? They can find me at Laura Bricker. What about you, Toby? If folks want to find you and hear your college story, how can folks find you online? At Toby Ball NH. 
What about you, Kevin? How can you be found so people can see your typing and how great you are at it? Carefully type to me at Kevin P. Flynn. You can f- no, shit. Back, back, back. Flynn. <laughs> you can find me anywhere at Reb Lavoie on all the platforms. You can also follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On and join our incredible group where if you're a teacher, we'll get people to buy you stuff for your classroom. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On After Show, Mary with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C the Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where our New Year's Eve plans also include turning ourselves into the Concord Police Department. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. So, Laura, I don't know if you saw today's uh, newsletter, but the, yes. the merch thing was the Laura Row. I saw that. And uh, someone said, like, I, I I wouldn't. She's like, I love it, but I couldn't buy it because I couldn't sit on Laura's face. Maybe if it was somebody <laughs> horrible, I said, Doug Evans. <laughs> she said, I would, absolutely, I would absolutely sit on his face and not feel bad about it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.